because we cannot uh, do this on our own. And so we ask that the Spirit would move in this place, that you would teach us, that you would show us the truth of your word, that you would impress it upon our hearts and our minds, and we would leave here having seen you more fully. Uh, We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, I I love uh, that song that we just sang when we sing that, and we talk about uh, gathering together as God's people, and we will cry out hallelujah, which just means praise the Lord. And so we gather together for his praises. But then I love how it turns and says, and then we're going to go and tell it on the mountains and tell it to the masses and and let the world know that he is the Lord. And just that balance of the two. Uh, I think it's a good reminder for us to sing that song uh, and to think that way for whatever reason. uh, And there's a whole host of reasons. A lot of times we like to divide out kind of the the sacred and the secular or or the, the God time and the other time. Right. This is time with God and this is time that's not necessarily with God. Or or maybe we wouldn't even articulate it that way, but we often end up living it out that way. Right. Like I'll come here and I'll sing his praises. But then when I leave, I got to go to work and I got to do some things and I'm busy and I don't have time. And so it's a good reminder for us to remember that it's all time with God. It's all his And all of our lives are to be praise back to him. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about as we go into Acts 18, is we continue to see lives lived in that way. All of it is God's time and all of it is pointing to him. And we see that uh, throughout scripture and we see that in Acts. And as we go to that today, we're going to think about this idea of the call of us to be disciples and to make disciples. We try to talk about discipleship quite a bit here at Church of the Apostles, and we come back to that. And and what we're going to see in this passage that we look at in Acts chapter 18 is is in a lot of ways some very practically helpful things on the way we grow as disciples and as we make disciples. There's a lot of very helpful things when we think about discipleship and how that plays out in our lives. And so we're going to look at that chapter together, but there's a couple things I want to do just as a preface before we even jump into the chapter and talk about this at all, because there's a lot of things when we start to talk about discipleship. We say that a lot here. We talk about making disciples who make disciples. We use that phrase a lot. But sometimes I think we get in the church and we use language and words and people nod and go, but we're not even really quite sure what we're talking about sometimes. And so we can say disciple a lot, but I want us to actually just think about what the definition is and what that means. Uh, In Jesus's day, a disciple would come to his rabbi or his teacher, Jesus calling his disciples with him. And then they would seek to spend uh, pretty much all their time learning from their rabbi. And the idea of a disciple with his rabbi was to come become like him in every way, to learn what they knew and to spend time and hear their teaching and walk with them and see their ways. And it was this all encompassing thing. And that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples, particularly the twelve. But when we talk about what discipleship means today, sometimes we get into that dividing things out. This is time with God and this is not time. This is discipleship time and this is not discipleship time. And we kind of miss the meaning of the way it was originally intended. And so the definition that I try to use a lot, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't here is when we talk about discipleship is that we want to bring every area of our lives under the lordship of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every area of our life, all of it, all of it is. And so we want to bring all of it under the lordship of Jesus to where we're seeking to glorify him in everything we do. Now, none of us have arrived at that, and that's a process that we continue in. But that's what we talk about when we want to talk about discipleship. 
And so I want you to have that definition in your mind as we talk about it. We want to bring every area of our lives under the lordship of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then there's a couple misconceptions that I want us to try to kind of blow up and then I'll show you. Hopefully we'll see that in the text where all these things are not the way the Bible shows it and the way Paul did it and the way the disciples did it and ultimately the way Jesus did it. But there's a few things that we need to consider. First misconception that we need to kind of move out of the way is that only some Christians are disciples. The idea that that we're, you can be a believer and that discipleship is optional. Right? The Bible doesn't know anything of that. In fact, the term Christians only used three times in the Bible and twice it's negatively by people outside of the church. The church is only ever talked about as disciples. Jesus was making disciples and then calling his disciples to go make disciples. And so the idea that it's just some Christians or that's just the class or some people make disciples and some don't, or that's not in the Bible. And so we just need to lay that out right up front because I've heard that quite a bit. That's one misconception. The second thing that we need to lay out there right at the beginning is that discipleship is only, it does include this, but here's the problem. When we say it's only believers helping other believers to grow in their faith. Now, often we think of discipleship, well, I want to bring every area of my life under the lordship of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as an older believer, I help a younger believer grow in this. And yes, that is true. And that is a big part of discipleship. And I'm not saying that's not right. The problem becomes when we miss that it's also helping to disciple those that are not yet believers to faith. It's both and it can't be just one. And if we leave it just one, we've missed a huge part of who Jesus was and the way he did his ministry and the way he discipled his disciples to do ministry. And so it's not just believers with believers, but it's believers going to those that don't yet know Jesus and seeking to disciple them to faith. And it has to be both. And we'll talk about why in just a second. But then the last thing when we talk about a misconception is that discipleship only happens at certain times in certain places. We in our society kind of work that way, right? Like I'll meet you for an hour at this time and that'll be discipleship time. Or we'll do an equipping class or we'll come to worship. All of those are pieces. But discipleship, if we're seeking to bring every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus, it means every area of our life all the time and all things. And so it's not something we turn on and off or it's this time or that time. We're discipling in everything we do whether intentionally or unintentionally. Think about it. If you have children with your children, they watch everything you do. And so if you say uh, we're to be kind and gracious to people and you're not kind and gracious to anyone. And then you say, now it's discipleship time and we're going to sit down and now we need to be kind and gracious. They're looking at you like, what are you talking about? All of it is part of it. Our whole lives is an opportunity to disciple and to see it that way is important because that's exactly what we see in our text here this morning. We see it in Jesus's ministry, Paul, the disciples all the way through. That's what it looks like. So with that in mind, let's look at Acts chapter 18 together this week and next week is kind of going to be almost part one and part two. We're going to really hit on discipleship a lot these two weeks. This week, I want us just to think about who is involved in that and how that works. And what I mean by who is who is called to be a disciple and who's called to be a disciple maker and then how that works, because there's some very practical steps that you see Paul and those with him, the disciples with him doing that help us in understanding what this looks like. 
And then next week, we're going to look at Acts 20. As Paul gives this charge to the elders at Ephesus and how the church is to come alongside and to help in this process. And what I mean by church is the local body of believers together. What are the elders and the leaders in the church supposed to be doing to help the church grow as disciples? And we'll talk about that next week. All right. So kind of part one and part two. So let's start with just who is called to be disciples Uh, where we are in Acts chapter 18. We've been saying this each week. If you've been with us, we've been working our way straight through Acts. We started in Acts 1 right at the beginning, and it's A.D. 30. The book takes you through A.D. 63. Where we sit here, we're right in the end of Paul's second missionary journey. He takes three journeys where he goes and plants churches and proclaims the gospel, and you see him go out and do that. This is the end of the second. Really, the third journey begins right at the end of this chapter. And so that means it places us 51 to 53 A.D., just so you kind of know where we are and what's happening. We're we're like 20, a little over 20 years into the church growing as Jesus gives the command to go make disciples of all nations. And that's what they're doing. And it's growing and it's going out. And that's where we are. And so last week we were in chapter 17 where Paul goes to Athens and he proclaims the gospel. And then here at the beginning of chapter 18, he goes over to Corinth. Corinth is a city that's a port city that's about an hour and a half from Athens and it was an important city and he goes there and what I want you to notice as we read through this or or as Luke read it just a second ago that the story the way Luke tells it is he begins to kind of highlight not just Paul but the people with Paul and the things that are happening around him and the disciples that are there Paul's certainly a central figure throughout these sections of Acts but it's not just about Paul If you look there at the beginning, it says he gets to Corinth and he meets this man, Aquila, and his wife, Priscilla, and they begin to work and spend time with Paul, and they're seeking to make disciples with him. And then it says uh, Silas and Timothy in verse 5, they come along and they begin to help Paul in his mission and what he's doing. And then he goes to different places and he says he's strengthening all the disciples. That's in verse 23. Verse 24, we're introduced to a man named Apollos who's been equipped and taught the ways of Jesus. And now he's using his gifts as he comes over and he comes into Ephesus and he begins to preach and teach. And so what you see Luke doing, I think very purposely, is he's showing you the way all of these people are involved in making disciples. All of these disciples, all these people that have come to faith, that have been discipled to faith and now are helping to make disciples. And everywhere Paul goes, that's the way it works. He goes into the synagogue or he goes into the city center, as we saw last week in Athens, and he proclaims the gospel. He's usually got uh, Timothy and Silas, Barnabas at different times. He has different guys with him as he goes and he does this. And they're making disciples together. And as soon as they do, and as soon as these people come to faith and they begin to grow in it, then they go out and they start to do the same thing. And you see this happening over and over and over again in Acts. And that's the way you see Paul kind of laying out the mission of going and spreading the gospel. He goes city to city, making disciples, then setting them up, and then they go and they do the same. You see here, he spends time with Priscilla and Aquila at the beginning. And then they're working together. And it says they spend about a year and a half together with Paul in Corinth. And then he takes off and goes to some different places and Priscilla and Quilla go off to Ephesus and they go and they begin to start to help disciple Apollos as he's making disciples. And you see this kind of the way this works. And so real simple on this first point, 
just big idea of this chapter that I want you to see. When we talk about disciples, being a disciple and making disciple, the call is for all of us. We're all called to be as believers, disciples of Jesus, but then we are all called to make disciples. It's not just the Paul's. It's not just the Apollos. It's all of us as we grow in our faith. Now we are to go and begin to make disciples of others. And so when we say being a disciple and making disciple, that applies to everyone. Now, we're going to have different ways that we do that, different gifts we have. We're going to work together in that. But that means we're all to be part of it. And so the who question of who is to be disciple and disciples makers, it's all of us. It's all believers. And you see that over and over here. But here's where I want us to really spend our time is how do we do that? What does that look like? And there's a couple things that we need to consider. And I said this just a second ago, but this is really important. When we begin to think about disciples and making disciples, we have to understand that as believers, we're seeking to make disciples of those that are not yet believers. I don't know if you've considered this. This is really, really simple and straightforward, but sometimes it's so straightforward that we miss it. Beginning of Acts, Jesus is there with who? The disciples, right? The, the people that are believers, they're all there. And he says, I want you to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I commanded. So who are they going to to make disciples? Those that don't yet know Jesus, right? That's why he says, go make disciples, baptizing them. Right. Baptism is the mark that we're now entering into the church, into a relationship with Jesus and then teaching them to obey all that I commanded. So Jesus's command is teach them, disciple them to a place of faith. And then as they come to faith, they're baptized and then you help them to obey everything that he commanded. We grow in that. And so it's not like this clear line that we often make. A lot of times we think evangelism is something we do to unbelievers and discipleship is something that happens with believers. And I want you to think of both kind of erase that clear line because they're both and giving that. Yes, we proclaim the gospel, the good news to those that are not yet believers. Evangelism means uh, good news, good newsing. It's actually a verb. It means to tell the good news of who God is and what he's done in Jesus. And yes, we're called to do that to unbelievers. You see Paul doing that over and over and over again everywhere he goes. But what we forget is we as believers, when we put our faith in Jesus, we need to be good news again and again and again. Every day I get up and want to forget things that I know are now true of me in Jesus. And I need to be reminded. I need to hear the good news over and over. I need my heart to be re-evangelized every single day. I think that's true of all believers everywhere. And so when we say, well, evangelism is for unbelievers and discipleship. No, we all need evangelism. I need the good news every day. And that's a big part of discipleship. If I want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of my life, I need to be reminded of who I am in Christ and what that means for me. The same is true for an unbeliever. They need to hear the good news and they need to see what it looks like to live that out. And so that those clear lines, we put it this way versus this way, it should all kind of go together. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what we see here. And I want us to understand that because everywhere Paul goes, he goes into a place and this gets to the how. 
And he begins to share the gospel and he spends time. And there's a very practical way that you'll notice he does this. If you look and you start to read the way he does this. This goes back to what we looked at at the end of chapter 17 last week. And you see it at the beginning here. Look at what happens. Verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Right? So he's reasoning. He's sharing the gospel. He's proclaiming who Jesus is. He's doing that over and over. He's doing evangelism. To those that are not yet believers, and as he does it, he has believers with him. Priscilla and Aquila here, they're doing that together. But then it says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So here's what I want you to see about the how. Paul does this over and over. He goes into the city and he broadly proclaims the gospel. And everywhere he goes, people get mad. Some of them get really angry at him. And they attack them or they try to kill them or whatever. And then some of them are like, this makes some sense. We'd like to hear you again. That's what they said at the end of chapter 17. And then some believed. But what you see him doing over and over is he shares the gospel. And the ones that go, we'd like to hear you again. He goes, great. I will come over there and spend time with you. That's exactly what he does here. Right. The ones that are are wanting to hear it. He says, "Okay, I tried with you guys and you don't want to hear it. So I'm going over next door because this guy does want to hear it. Where do you think he got this idea? If Paul is a disciple of Jesus, seeking to be like Jesus in every way, where did he get this idea? Right. Luke 10. Jesus sends out 72 to go into the towns to proclaim the gospel. If you know this story, he says, go two by two and take nothing with you and go into the towns and proclaim the gospel everywhere you go. And so he tells them this, he says, uh, wherever, whatever house you enter, first say to this house, this is Jesus talking. Uh, if, uh, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And then he goes on to tell them, if the peace is there, share the gospel, stay with them, let them take care of you, spend time there. If not, shake off the dust from your feet Say the kingdom has come near and move on your way. That's the directions that Jesus gives the 72 to go out and make disciples of those that don't yet know Jesus. It's exactly what you see Paul do over and over and over again. They go, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And he goes, "Okay, great. I'm going to go over here to this guy's house. I'm going to spend time with him. And guess what happens? He comes to faith and his entire family and his entire household and a whole bunch more. And so when we start to talk about discipleship and how we do it, this is the, the picture that God gives us. It's the way Jesus instructs us to make disciples. You proclaim the gospel. You look for opportunities. You be bold in that as you go. But then there are going to be certain people that lean in and go, I think I'd like to hear more about that. I have some questions. And so Jesus makes this real easy. He says, so spend time with them. Spend time with the people that are there that are already their hearts are being stirred by the Holy Spirit and get involved there and watch what God does. 
And so a lot of times when we start to talk about this, we're all called to make be disciple makers. And we're all called to go to people that don't yet know Jesus. It's like, oh, that's kind of scary. I'm not sure how to do that. But Jesus's program, if you will, is just spending time with people that he's already at work in their hearts. And you're just supposed to love them and answer their questions and walk with them in it and let God do the rest. It's not that difficult. You get to spend time with the people that God has put in your life that you're naturally having connections with. And then you're speaking the truth into it. And if you go, well, that still sounds kind of scary. Look at the encouragement that Paul gives or or Jesus gives to Paul in verse nine. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And I want you to see it this way when we start to talk about discipleship. God is at work drawing people to himself and he allows us to be part of it. And when you begin to see it that way, it doesn't ultimately rest on you, whether it will succeed or fail, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit and we get to be part of it. Suddenly it's like, ah, Do you understand? It's a wonderful thing that we get to be part of what God's doing, that we get to step into that and go to people that God's already preparing. He calls them here in Luke 10 that if a son of peace is there. Then that's where you stay. And so you go, well, how do I know what those people look like in my life? Who in your life right now is leaning into a friendship with you that doesn't know Jesus? That's your person of peace. This is not complicated. But if you stop and think about it, you can probably think through some people in your life that fit that description. People that are willing to have some of those conversations with you. And I want you to think of it this way. When that's happening and those people are presenting themselves in your life and you're talking to them and they're willing to have those conversations, it's literally like Jesus tapping you on the shoulder and going, I'm about to do something really cool right here. And I want you to be part of it. And I want you to love this person and I want you to point them to the glory that I can bring in their life and who I am. That's exactly what he says to Paul. I have many more in this city. And so when we begin to think of it that way, that first step of who are the people of peace in our life and what that looks like. Discipling to faith and then from faith to uh, maturity. And so that first step is looking for those. And so here's what I would ask you. Who are the people of peace in your life? When I ask that question or when I describe that, is there someone that comes to mind that you go, yeah. If I sit down right now and make a list, I can have a list of like 50 people. And that's over a lot of time living in the same place and listening to people and wanting to see that. You may go, I don't know. And so here's here's my challenge to you. If you know who it is, if someone immediately comes to mind, would you begin to pray that God would show you what the next step is? And if we want to be disciples and we want to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life, would you then ask him what the next step is and then seek to be obedient in whatever that is? And that's God's program for how disciples are made and how people come to faith. Now, if you go, I don't know who it is, I'm not sure. And so my challenge would be, 
be to you? Would you be willing to begin to pray that God would show you who that is? And I think you will be overwhelmed with how quickly you will see people of peace in your life when you begin to pray that way. Now, next step, though, that we see. So identifying people of peace and beginning to walk with them, giving your time to those that God are putting right in front of you. But notice the way this works. Now, let me just ask a question before I even go ahead. As I say that about your people of peace and I think about what would be the next step, how many of you had some thought of what you would do? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. You had some thought of of what I would do next. Now, the next question I want to ask is how many of you thought of something that you on your own would do with one other person on your own? I would bet if we went around and we asked the question, most of us would go, yeah, well, I personally am going to do this with this person. And we think that way because we live in the most individualistic society in the history of the world. And so we always think of it as what I am going to do on my own by myself with other people. But what you see here is Paul making disciples and he takes other disciples with him to make disciples and they're going together. It's never just all on your own. And so when we begin to think about what does it look like and how does this work? Disciples making disciples is that we are going together on mission to those that don't yet know Jesus and inviting them into what this looks like. Does that make sense? You see this over and over here at the beginning. It's with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And it says they begin to work together. They're literally he gets a job and he begins to work with them and he's spending time working and he's discipling them as they work. And then they're going and they're sharing their faith as they're working and as they're doing and they're doing it together. Do you see that in all of life? As tent makers going in on the weekends into the, the, the synagogue, going into the, the city center and they're doing it in everything. But it's not just there. As you read on and you start to look, you see we're introduced to this guy, Apollos, in verse 24. And notice what it says about Apollos. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. But then look at what it tells you. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Right? Do you hear what that says? So there's a guy who became a believer and then he was discipled. And now he knows the scriptures. And so he goes over to the next town and he begins to proclaim who Jesus is. And he's using the gifts that God's given him to do that. He's an eloquent man who's good at speaking. Right? And so he does that. But then look at what happens next. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Priscilla and Aquila are discipled by Paul for a year and a half. Paul moves on. They go over. Then Apollos comes in and then he's taking what he's just been discipled and learned. And Priscilla and Aquila come alongside of him and they continue to disciple him as he's doing it. Do you see that? As they're going to make disciples of those that don't yet know Jesus, they're discipling one another as they go. That's the image we see all the way through in the way Jesus did it with his disciples and the way that we are called to be as a church. And then you see at the end, it says, uh, Verse 27, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and he wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And he arrived. He greatly helped those 
who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. And so do you see what happens? Apollos goes to the next town and there the disciples greet him and he greatly encourages him, them, and they encourage him as he goes on mission and proclaims the gospel. Do you see how all that works? And so here's what I want you to see when we think about discipleship. Yes, it's going to those that's not yet believers, but it's going together because we grow as disciples as we go. And we're called to do that together. No one's just it's not just everybody leave here and on your own this week, do all of this by yourself. It's we're called to be going together and as we go sharing our faith and discipling one another along the way, because this is what happens. When we step out of here and we go and we begin to do that and people ask hard questions and difficult things come up and all of a sudden uh, our struggles come into that. Well, I asked a question I don't know. They brought up areas that I struggle with. And part of that, our heart gets revealed and then we need to be re-evangelized in our own heart. We need to grow in our own faith as we help to help help to seek others grow in their faith. And so as we grow, we learn more as we're going than when we do just together. Does that make sense? When we step out in faith and do the things that Jesus calls us to do, it gives us these opportunities, but it also reveals all these ways where we blow it. Man, I'm terrible at this. And then as we do that together, we can say to one another, yes, and God loves you completely and totally. And it's because of what Jesus has done, not how good you are at this. And our faith gets strengthened as we go together. Now, this is a very imperfect analogy, but I often think of sports analogies. And so I think about when I used to coach basketball. And you want to put all of this together. We say, uh, let me back up for just a second. We say this here frequently. And again, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've not. And I'm going to try to be more deliberate in making sure I say it frequently. But if we're going to grow as disciples, we have to grow in the up, our relationship with the Father through Jesus and what he's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're growing in that vertical relationship with God. But then we're called as part of a family to grow with one another, brothers and sisters in faith, the in relationship. So up with God in with one another, but then we're to be growing with our relationship of sharing our faith with those outside the faith, the out. And so we say the up, the in and the out. If we really want to grow as disciples, we're going to have a balance of all three of those because you saw Jesus operating in a perfect balance of all three as he went. And so we want to be doing the same, the up and the in and the out and all things. And if we miss that, we miss a huge part of what this looks like. And so when we begin to go on mission together, we grow closer to one another, having to put our faith in God and what he's going to do as we grow. And all three come together. Does that make sense? And so my analogy is this. When I used to coach basketball, what does it take to be a successful team? Well, you pick a team and you get your your guys together and this is going to be our basketball team. And then you begin to teach them the basics, the understanding of how to play and how to move and how to work together. And you learn plays and there's a lot of talking and discussion. And then you get on the court and you practice and you move and you work together. And as you do, you grow together as a team. Start to learn your strengths and my strengths and your weaknesses. And we start to play together and we start to get better. But if we only did that, we only listened to the coach 
and then we practice and we grew together as a team, we'll be, we be a successful basketball team. We probably need to play some other people to be a successful team. We probably need to get outside of just ourselves to actually see where we are. And so as a coach, I could know pretty quickly if my team was going to be good or not after a couple weeks of practice. I knew the players I had and who was good at what and the way they worked. And I thought, okay, I've got a good handle on this. But we would always learn infinitely more when we first played a game. The first game or two, you'd get them out there and some kid that did nothing in practice would suddenly be a star in the game. And you're like, where did this guy come from? Or one kid that you thought was going to be really great gets in a game and freezes. You're like, man, I thought he was going to be one of our best players. and He's terrible. And you start to figure out what that looks like and how that works. And you learn a lot more by stepping out into it. It's the same thing in discipleship. We can gather together as believers and we can read God's word and we can sing his praises and we can encourage one another and we can grow close together. But if we never step outside of this and begin to share our faith and watch where God's moving, we'll just stay right there. But when we do, which is exactly what they were doing in Acts over and over and over again, as you see God move, you see him do things far beyond anything that you thought possible. He begins to strengthen your faith. He begins to show you what it looks like to step out and trust him more fully. And we all grow that much more. We grow in our discipleship and our understanding as we go and we see God calling people to himself. Do you see how those go together? You see why we talk about up, in and out and all three and not just one or the other. And that we need all three of those working together in concert for that to work the way God's called us to. And so when we talk about discipleship, it has to be going to those that don't yet know Jesus, but we're going together seeking to make disciples along the way, discipling one another as we seek to bring people in and disciple them to faith and then into maturity. It's all three. And so the last thing I want us to consider on the how, and and this is the most important thing, and then we'll pick up next week about how we as a church can help uh, equip for all of this. But the most important thing that you see in all of this, everywhere Paul goes, you see it in in verse five. Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And then you see it in verse 28 where he says, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Same phrase. If you go even into the next chapter at the beginning there, it starts to say the same thing. He was telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. And every single thing that Paul and the disciples do as they go, Jesus is the center of all of it. And we can go and we can busy ourselves and we can spend a lot of time together. We can get together as some groups and go out and serve other people. And love on them and invite neighbors in and be great neighbors. We can go and we can give our time to to help with great ministries in the city. But if Jesus is not the center of everything that we say and proclaim, we are not going to make any disciples. The gospel has to be central to all of it. And that means in our discipleship as we're growing together, because as we go out and we go together, we need to be re-evangelized every time. Evangelism is the good news. God loves you completely and totally and fully. And it's because of what Jesus has done and not your performance. Thanks be to God. 
And so you're going to go out and you're going to share your faith and someone's going to laugh at you. And be like, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And you're going to walk off and you're going to be like, man, I feel like failure. And that's a great opportunity to be discipled. God loves you the same whether that person comes to faith or they don't. That's not ultimately up to you. And we need to be discipled in that with the gospel being central. And so there has to be a fluency of the gospel on everything we say, whether it's encouraging those that don't yet know Jesus or it's us walking together or it's us in that seeking to share our faith and then blowing it. Or if it's great or whatever it is, whatever happens, whatever God ordains to take place, we give God the glory and it's through Christ and what he's done. And if we don't do that, then we're not actually making disciples of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to say, you follow me and you follow me to the best of your ability. And if you do it pretty well, then you can be saved. Jesus came to say, you can't do this, but I've done it for you. And now I invite you. I adopt you into my family by grace through faith. And you now get to live this way as part of my family. Those are two very different things. And if we don't keep Jesus, it's the center that it's all him and what he's done. We're not actually making disciples of Jesus. And you'll get burned out really quickly. You'll be like, I got to do a bunch of stuff and I do these things. So God's pleased with me. That's not how it works. Thankfully. But if we keep it in its proper balance with the gospel at the center, then it becomes something that we're doing in the power of the spirit for God's glory. And it's not a hard thing. In fact, it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing that's greatly encouraging that we get to be part of. God has many more in this city. And he's calling us to be part of it. And we get to do that. So next week we'll talk about how we can help equip in all those areas as a church. But let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what Jesus has done. We thank you that you call us to be part of your family. We, we thank you that we are adopted into your family because of what Jesus has done for us. That as we consider all these ways that we get to love others, that we get to listen to them, we get to walk with them in all things, that we get to share our faith, that we get to do that with one another, we get to encourage each other. We just pray that in all those things it would just be an overflow of the great love uh, that you have given us and that we see and we begin to just offer that back of lives of praise. I pray that the, the Spirit would move mightily in this body, that you would direct our steps, we would show us uh, where you would have us to go and what that would look like. Uh, we pray that we would see many more come to faith, that you would show us, that you would give us opportunities to disciple one another and those around us, and it would be for your honor and for your glory. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.